We are so thrilled. You know, one of the great things about Mike is he is a true Minnesotan. And I say that because you'll see sportscasters, you get these sportscasters who, good people, come from Southern California, Texas, and they don't quite really understand Minnesota. But you were raised in Gaylord, Minnesota, went to the high school there, was an athlete in a number of sports, went on to Hamlin University and played for the Pipers, and then from there went to WCCO, where you have a number of different, uh, like a radio show, the sports that you have at CCO, and then the um, life with Max, life to the Max. And then I just want to say your parents and your wife and kids are out here, and I'm just going to, they're, you might just, you probably don't want to raise your hand, so don't. Um, but we're glad you're here with us, so thank you. So it is really, one of the things that we love to do is to give the platform to people who kind of, have kind of a public eye, and it's a great thing, and and it's also um, kind of a real charge and privilege to be able to, to, to hold that. And so we're thrilled for you to be able to share with us what it means to have faith and what it means to have grown up with a faith. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me out here today. And uh, Joel, you showed that clip of that baby in the crib. A lot of us would give two weeks of our life to have one more moment like that, wouldn't we, where you go in and you just hold them one more time and now my daughter Cassidy is ten and Colton is six. And they still crawl in bed with us every night. <laughs> the other night Colton, he's only six and he went what well, came in and he didn't know I was awake and he jumped in with us and I watched him. And he went over and he gave my wife a big hug without her knowing it. And then he went back to sleep. I thought that was so cool. Thank you for having me out here today. And I tell you, I got up early this morning and I went out to get the Sunday paper and I looked and it felt great, didn't it? Finally, a nice day in Minnesota. And I thought to myself as I was walking across the street, who in the world would listen to Mike Max and come indoors to listen to Mike Max on a day like this? There have to be better things to do than that. But I thank you for having coming out here, and I appreciate it. And we don't appreciate enough. We don't appreciate enough because we're so busy trying to figure out what it is that we need to get next. Or what it is that we don't have. Or what it is that's somebody else's fault that we don't have. My great uncle Ed's 94 years old, and he's laying in the hospital. And he knows this is it. He knows he's not going to leave that hospital alive sitting right next to him. He's my great aunt Edna. 94 years old. And as you do when you get to the end of anything in life, he was reflecting. And he said, Edna, who'd have thunk it? You and I were born on the same day, next door neighbors. We grew up together. We fought from time to time when we were kids, but who'd have thunk it? A romance blossomed out of that. And as I look back now, you know, we didn't know what we were doing, and, and, and we thought it was a good idea to get married right out of high school. And your dad gave us the farm. And I didn't know what I was doing. And three years later, the bank came and took half the farm away. Remember that, Edna? And then three years later, we hit the Great Depression and the bank came and took the other half because I couldn't manage my way through it. 
He said, Edna, I've never told you this, but you don't know how many times I came home at the end of a long day and I thought you would not be there for me. And every time there you were, right by my side, telling me that tomorrow would be better than today. And then I wasn't formally educated in anything, and so I had 12 jobs in the next 10 years. And man, you talk about a run of bad luck. Who, who could have that many bad bosses that didn't recognize my talents? <laughs> He says, Edna, I became angry and frustrated and couldn't figure out why things happen as they do and you don't know how many times at the end of the day I'd come home and I thought you would not be there for me. There you were. Dinner on the table. Telling me that things would get better. And even later in life. When you never even saw the Social Security check, because I'd take it right from the post office to the casino. And the problems and the demons that I battled along the way, and I'd come home in the middle of the night, and you knew where I had been, and you could tell by my face, again, I had run into bad luck at the casino. And I didn't have any money left. And there you'd be standing right by my side through every miserable, thing that I chose to do and you were right there and you stayed right by my side and you just say the same thing it'll get better tomorrow honey now here I am 94 years old not going to leave the hospital alive you know that I know that and I look back on my life Edna and it has not been what I hoped that it would be it has been filled with far more misery and pain and frustration and anger than I ever envisioned or imagined it did not turn out the way that I wanted to. And there were far, far too many days where I just put my head in my hands and say, why me? Why me? Now here I am, 94 years old, and then as I look back, there has been but one constant in my life, and it has been you. You have been with me for this entire miserable journey, but you have stayed right by my side every step of the way. He said, Edna, I've had a chance to do a lot of thinking lately about my life and about you and my life for the duration of it and how difficult it's been and how it did not turn out the way that I thought it would. He said, Edna, I've been thinking a lot about that lately and I think you might be bad luck. Sometimes the ingratitude that we have for the people that should mean the most to us. I stand here today, and I'm two things. I'm a hypocrite and I'm a sinner. I'm a hypocrite and I'm a sinner. I can, I can, I can even quote you chapter if you want. Hebrews 11 says, What is faith? It is the confident assurance that something that we want is going to happen. It is the certainty that what we hope for is there even though we cannot see it. I can quote you chapter. I can tell you all the things that I know about how to live a good life. I just struggle every day implementing it into my own life. It's easy to sit up here 
It's difficult when you get out there. It's difficult to do it right. If you don't believe me, my wife will be waiting at the end of the service. I grew up in Gaylord, Minnesota, small town. A lot of vivid, a lot of great memories. One of my great memories is when I was, I was going to be 14 years old, and I wanted in the worst way a stereo with you know speakers and the photograph. We used to have records. Tell tell the kids when you're way home what a record is. We used to have records, and this had speakers and AM, FM, and everything. And I asked my mom and dad for it, and I thought I'll never get this, but I want it so bad because I had seen somebody else that had one, and it came to my birthday. And lo and behold, my dad came home with the stereo. And I thought that is the greatest gift that I've ever received in my life. Three years later, my dad topped it. I was a junior in high school now. My older brother had moved to college. I had his room, the big room in the basement. I decided that I wanted, needed, had to have in the worst way, a waterbed. <laughs> Remember those? They're going to solve all our problems, right? And lo and behold, maybe even without the blessing of my mother, on Christmas I got a waterbed. And I thought that was the greatest gift I'd ever gotten in my life. It's Father's Day. And I can't talk about Father's Day without talking about Mother's Day. Because they don't ask me to preach on Mother's Day, only Father's Day. But my mom and dad gave me the greatest gift in my life. It just took me a while to realize. The greatest gift that I ever received in my life from my mother and father was that they took me to church on Sundays. And I resisted it for a long time. And eventually I wanted to go to church and eventually I wanted to know more. The greatest gift that I've ever received is a Christian faith. And my parents gave that to me. And I get to use it unlike the waterbed and the stereo for the rest of my life. <laughs> what is a faith, man? What is it? What is it? You know, we do that show Life to the Max and, 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 and Reverend Kevin was talking about it and we do this show and we try to do stories that are inspiring and entertaining and sometimes you really don't know if you're making a difference or an impact even though you go out and do these stories. You really don't. And the company that does it, LifeTouch, they have these mission trips where their employees go down and they, and they build schools in other countries and, and they finance schools and they finance adoption agencies and things like this that, that can help. And, and, and they took a group, and I did not go with on one of these mission trips to Haiti. And they went down there and they brought a camera crew with And they came back with a story for our show. They said, we think we'll like this. We, we were inside an orphanage. And there's this unbelievable need for Haitians that have no home and that have no hope. They've been abandoned by their parents and now they're in these orphanages and they're not great conditions. And there's this great need for adoption. And we did the story, we ran it that night, and I thought, this is a pretty good story. Didn't think much of it. A year and a half later, I was at Church Needing Prairie where we go. And a guy came up to me as I was standing in line to get coffee and he says, do you got a minute? I said, uh-oh, what do we got now? 
I say, I get that a lot. You know, you got a minute, and then it's the, they introduce you to somebody that's going to be the next Andy Koufax, the pitcher that happens to be their son, and they wonder if you can do a story on him. But he says, you got a minute. He says, I want you to meet somebody, and he brought me over. And as I got closer, I saw that it was he, and it looked like his wife and a couple of young children, eight and seven years old, big smiles on their face. And he wanted me to introduce, wanted to introduce me to his children who they had adopted from the orphanage in Haiti because they watched that segment that night. And when the segment got over, he turned to his wife and he says, we have no choice, do we? See, faith is trying to do something right and not knowing what the results are going to be, but you do it anyway because... You try to do what's right and you, and you know that at the end of the day there's somebody bigger than you looking out for you. When I was growing up in Gaylord, Minnesota, in that small town, I was going into my senior year in high school. And my older brother and I, we painted barns in the summer. That's what we did. And we came home one day for lunch. And there were a couple of plates and half the food was still on the plate and there was nobody home. And I thought, that's strange that my parents didn't finish lunch or clean up after themselves. And I went up to the high school because the football season was coming up and we lifted weights at noon hour. And I went up and I walked into the weight room and the coach was there and he was surprised to see me. And I was surprised that he was surprised. And he says, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I came to lift weights, of course. And he says, you didn't hear, did you? And I said, what? And he says, come here. He says, you better get up to the hospital. Because your younger brother has been in a serious accident. And so I did. I went over to the hospital and there it was. My mom and dad's car right next to the ambulance. And I walked inside and there was my mom and my dad and the doctor and the ambulance driver. And they explained to me that my younger brother, 12 years old, he was out that day. They were spraying weeds in a bean field and they were coming back on a gravel road. And he was riding on the front beam of a tractor. And he fell off. And the front two tires went over his chest. And then they slammed on the brakes. And he got pinned under the back tire. And now they've got him in Gaylord's Hospital and they're going to try to transport him to Methodist Hospital in St. Louis Park. And my mom was the school nurse. And so she's pleading with the doctor to allow her to ride in the ambulance with her youngest son. And the doctor finally says, I know you're a nurse, but I don't know if that's wise because we don't know if he's going to make it. And you're a mother before you're a nurse and no mother should have to be on a ride like that. And I'll get back to that a little bit later. The other thing that your faith allows you to do is to focus on what you have control over and to give the rest to Him. Here's where my hypocrisy gets thick. Because I would love to control every situation. And so I'm sitting with a guy that played in the NBA. He was, he was a great basketball player. And we're doing an interview, a one-on-one interview. And I said to him, would your life have amounted to much had it not been for basketball? Because I thought he'd say that basketball saved me. And he looked up at me and he almost pierced me because he understood what I was saying. And he said, yes, I would have been successful had it not been for basketball. 
He says, because you think you know who I am and you think you understand me. He says, let me tell you something. My parents instilled in me long before I ever played basketball that if you're going to be happy and successful in life, you need to take care of two things. Your attitude and your effort. You need to take care of those two things. You need to focus on those two things for the rest of your life. And if you do those things, then you will be happy and you will be successful. Now that gentleman that I was sitting with that day, his name happens to be Michael Jordan. And he might be the greatest athlete ever in the world. And what he was telling me was, there were kids that he grew up with that had just as much talent as he did. They were just, and they're still on the playgrounds back in Carolina where he grew up. Because he took care of his attitude and his effort. It wasn't about basketball and it wasn't about natural gifts. It was about understanding what he had control over, taking advantage of the opportunity that he had to control both and then giving the rest to somebody else. I was working on a side project with a couple that lives not far from here. And what they do is they work with big companies and they consult them, executives and people with high potential on their way up. And, and they consult with them how they are perceived inside that company. Because many times what we think the perception of us is is not the way we are being perceived. And they wrote a book on it. Seeing yourself as others see you. And I'm riding on an airplane and I read this book. And it was painful. And it was empowering because I saw in there so many examples that reminded me of me and they were not good. And it was empowering because it reminded you of how much you have control over in your life. You get to wake up every day with the attitude that you choose. You get to go to work every day and choose the posture that you sit in your desk and the way you interact with the people around you. And I was sitting with them a few weeks ago and I was sharing one of my great fears about my career. And finally, Tom said, you know what? Here's what will happen. What you're talking about may or may not happen. You may lose that opportunity that you're talking about. And you know what's going to happen then? You're going to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you're going to go on with life and it will work out just fine the way that it always has. Wow. Why couldn't I see that? Why do I allow my fear to override my faith? What he was saying is God is taking care of you and he's had a plan for you. Why are you so worried about what's next? You know, if you want to make God laugh, just tell Him what the plan is. <laughs> One day I was struggling years ago and I called my father and my mother looking for a sympathetic voice. And my dad probably doesn't even remember this. And he said, well, Mike, you have a Christian faith, right? And I said, yeah, you know that, Dad. He says, well, why? 
I said, well, you know, Christian faith gets you through. He said, no, why do you have a faith if you're not going to use it? Right? Why do you have a faith when bad things happen that it can get good again? Why bother to have a faith if you're not going to use it? What is it in your life that's not going the way you had planned? And what is it in your life that's happened in your past when you didn't think that you were going to get through that situation and I'll be darned if you didn't just come through, you came through better on the other side. He's there. Are you going to access Him? Are you going to live with faith or are you going to live with fear? That's been my 2013 resolution to replace fear with faith. And man, that fear can get you, can it? Because it is so scary that you might fail. It is so scary that things might not go the way, that you might be humiliated, that you might lose money, that people might laugh at you. Those are scary things to think about. My daughter Cassidy is in gymnastics. And I cover a lot of sports, but that doesn't mean I know a lot about a lot of sports. And and gymnastics, I don't know that much about. And I'm kind of thankful for that because then I don't try to overcoach her or pretend that I know more than her coaches do. So she, the whole premise of gymnastics is they start you here and then gradually they build you up and you've got to try to do new things and you've got to try to master those things one step at a time. And sometimes it's really scary, whatever the next thing is. And sometimes she gets scared because she didn't know if she could do the next thing. And so her and I, we came up with a pact. We came up with our own slogan. And it's this. It's okay to be afraid. It's just fine to be scared. It's okay to be afraid. But we're going to do it anyway. We're going to try to do the next thing, even though we're scared. Even though we're afraid we might fail, we're going to do it anyway. I wish in sports we give out medals and we give out trophies. And we, whoever wins and the scoreboard tells the story. You know what I wish we gave trophies for? You know what I wish we handed out medals and certificates for? You know what I wish we praised more? People that have the courage to leave their comfort zone and try something that they don't know what the end result's going to be and see if they can master it. I wish that we gave out trophies. I wish that we spent more time praising the people that were afraid to do something and did it anyway. Because that is scary and that is hard. And oh man, does that require some faith. When you don't know, but you do it anyway. Because while you're down here on this mortal coil, you want to find out what it is that you can be, and so you leave your comfort zone. Because that's the only way you can find out. But you don't go there alone. Because you have faith. 
Because Jesus promised you that he would be there every step of the way, whether it was good or bad, and even when you don't know why things are happening as they do. He will be there for you when you leave that comfort zone, when you take that risk. And it is the only way you can grow and find out who you are. My wife and I, for years she wanted to do something entrepreneurial. And a few years ago we decided to buy a great clips hair salon in Maple Grove and see if we liked it. And if we did, then we'd maybe buy more. So we did. And for two and a half, three years we owned it. And it was an interesting experience. (laughs) It is true what they say. Every married couple should either build a home together or go into business together before the divorce is final. (laughs) I'm kidding. But she learned so much and I learned from her. And now, and we sold it and we moved on and she checks it off the bucket list. And we never would have known if we hadn't left our comfort zone. We never would have learned had we not tried something that we did not know. And she did a great job with it. And now she goes on with the rest of her life knowing that she would have never known had she not been willing to leave her comfort zone and take that risk. And what is it in your life that's holding you back? And do you really have the faith? Do you really have the faith? that even if you fail, things are going to be all right. I had lunch yesterday not far from here with a man. He was at the first service, in fact, and I don't think he minds me telling He lived the American dream. He worked for a company for a long time. When he was 50 years old, he decided to branch out on his own. He had an idea, a concept, and I'll be darned if he wasn't right. He hit it, man. What the market wanted, he developed. He invented. And he built that company up in 18 years to a multi-million dollar company and then he sold it. And he invested that money wisely and then he invested it with a friend that came along and they had a new... And the investment was going really well. So he invested some more and some more. And then one day he found out as did others that he had lost it all that what he thought he had invested in he hadn't invested in he had lived the American dream he had everything and now boom he had to sell his house he's in his 70s now so it's not like he's ready to reinvent the wheel one more time he'd like to he doesn't know if he has the energy or people taking him and he's living And we talked about how hard that is for him. But that wasn't my takeaway when I left lunch yesterday. What I remembered the rest of the day was what he said to me towards the end. He said, I know that I'm going to be okay. And I said, how? He said, because God told me. Because God told me. I've fought the fight before and I'll fight the fight again, but I'll do it with him. 
And it's not the money that made my life, it's my faith that made my life. One thing I've learned, and I've learned it the hard way, is you cannot achieve peace. You can't, and I've tried. I, if you think there's enough money out there, or enough job opportunities, or enough glory and fame that you can achieve peace, I, I know more people that are empty and shattered that tried to find peace through money, through fame, and they always end up the same, disappointed. Man, last year I took on every project I could take on. I was doing three TV shows on three different stations and my radio show every night and this and that and speaking and blah, blah, blah. And there was a part of me, i got to admit, that thought if I can do all this, I will have reached the pinnacle. And there was some satisfaction that went with organizing and doing all those things and multitasking. But you know what I never got from it? Any peace. I just got more consumed with what's next. How can I do it better? If I can do this, then I should be able to do this. But there's no peace. Because you don't get peace from money, from job promotions, from accomplishments. You get it from a relationship, don't you? You get it from your faith. You get it from that something that you can't see out there, but you can sure feel. Faith allows me to work hard and believes it. The rest will take care of itself. My dad had two sayings when we grew up. He'd say, boys, hard work always pays off. And he'd say, boys, money doesn't grow on trees. I'm not sure which one he said more. But his whole premise was, if you work hard, you don't have to think or worry. The rest will... It's not just working hard in your job. It's working hard in your life. Father's Day is a special day, and we all probably hold our, put our dads, I hope, not maybe all, I hope we put our dads on pedestals. I was driving out here today, and I stopped by the holiday station store, and there were three boys. They couldn't be more than nine or ten. And the one boy says to the other two, he says, My dad's the most amazing man in the world. And the other two said, What do you mean, man? We know your dad. He said, No, you don't. We went out to the archery range the other day. He's a bow hunter. Forty yards away, he drew the arrow back, let it fly. Six inches before it was going to hit the bullseye, he caught it in his bare hand. <laughs> Second kid says, That's nothing. He says, my dad took us out to the rifle range with a 30-yard six. He doesn't even use a scope. And he set it up at 40 yards. Boom. Six inches before it was going to hit the bullseye, he caught it in his teeth. <laughs> Third kid says, there's nothing. My dad works for the state highway department. And every day he gets off work at 5 o'clock and he's home by 4.15. <laughs> You'll take care of the highway workers, right? You'll... Special forgiveness on that one. I hope that you don't have in life a life where you want to get off work at 5 o'clock and get home by 4.15. I hope that your life is one where you go from work to family to church and all of it is good. I hope that the big dilemma that you have in life is that you're constantly trying to figure out how to spend more time here and there because it's all so good because you work so hard at it. I hope that that's what you find in your life. 
And I think that you can only achieve that with great faith. I think that you can only get there if you believe in something that's greater than you that makes sense out of things that you can't make sense out of. I'll mention my younger brother. I got my son Colton, six years old. He looks a little bit like my younger brother did when he was six. And he's got some of that same spirit and tenacity and that's one of the great compliments that I can give Colton. And he's got some of that same, the same spirit that my younger brother had. Just yesterday, I convinced Colton, we were coming back from soccer, and I convinced him that it would be a good idea for him to want to go to vacation Bible school. And this took a lot of convincing. And Batman Legos, and it looks like a DVD of one of his favorite movies it cost me. But when I see him, I think, oh, I hope he turns out like my brother Mark. See, so Mark went to the hospital and he got through that first night. And the doctor said, if we can get him through the first night, I think he's got a chance. And the next day he woke up and the doctor said, I don't know what God has planned for you, but it must be something special because I have no idea why you're still alive. And he got through the next day and the next day and the next day. And eventually he got off the critical list. And they put him in the main part of the hospital. And eventually in his seventh grade year, they said, why don't you go home and you can stay overnight at the hospital in Gaylord and then you can go to school and start integrating yourself into the into, into school again. And he did. And he got reinfected. And he ended up back in a wheelchair and back in the hospital. And I got to see my mom and dad's hair go gray before my eyes. And eventually he got out of the hospital again. And eventually they sent him home again. And eventually he could walk. And eventually he could run. And eventually, when he graduated from high school, he was number two in his graduating class. And he was academic all-state in football and basketball and baseball. And he was the captain of the all-star football team that plays the Metro team. And they came in and he was, the all, he was on, not just on the team, they elected him captain and they beat the Metro team. And he went to college and he played three sports in college. And he had a 3.8 GPA or something that I'm not familiar with. But <laughs> and now he lives in Hutchinson, Minnesota. with a wife and two wonderful children. One of them, Mitchell, is here today. And Mitchell, like his father, makes you feel good about yourself when you're around him. And he's a financial planner out there and he coaches his kids and he goes to church. He's not with us today because he and my older brother decided to go to a cabin instead of listening to middle brother speak. But he called me a few years ago and he was teaching Sunday school and he does not get down very often, but he was down. And he explained to me that there's this little girl in his class and she's the leader of the class and she's the spark plug and she's the light bulb. And she was out that weekend 
Her mom and dad both teach her. She was in the back of a pickup truck and she fell off the back of a pickup truck and she hit her head and she died. Nine years old. And he was really confused because he said, I just don't understand why I got to live. And I said, Mark, there's a lot of things that I don't understand that I have questions about. But I also say, when I look at your life, look what you've done since your accident. You have not taken this thing for granted. You have overcome amazing adversity and you've still got the scars on your body to show for it. You focus on what you can control and you understand there is a God and it's not you. You have not let your fear of failure get in the way because in your mind I think, what is fear? What is failure? When you really understand what the gift of life is. And he has amazing faith. Amazing faith. Because of those two. He believes because of my parents that things are always going to be good. Because they gave him the greatest gift that you can give your child, I think. A faith. Because when you have it, then you really do believe. You really do believe. As my parents live every day. That the best is always yet to come. That the best is always yet to come. Happy Father's Day.